Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For the first 99 episodes of this podcast, we have done our very best to find the good things to say about films that were unfairly maligned. But now we may have finally met our match. It may not be easy. We may strain our brains with the mental gymnastics required to find the silver linings, but we'll try our best to shed some light on the room in this, the 100th episode of It's Not That Bad. Welcome, welcome, one and all, to the 100th episode of It's Not That Bad. Holy crap, we made it to 100 episodes. And there is only one movie that is big and bad enough to cover for such a historic milestone. And that's The Room. And here... To go down this road with me, and I'm going to apologize right now because we had to watch The Room again, is my lovely wife, Carrie. Carrie, how are you doing today? I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) I'm sorry, did you say The Room or The Ruin? No, The the Room. Yeah. One, one one might actually easily get confused, but it's, it's going to be a quiet episode. (laughs) Right. I believe me. I get it. I do get it. Um, First things first, though, like happy 100 episodes. Happy anniversary. Right. Gives us another reason to celebrate, which I'm all for. Um, Look, listeners, you guys are the ones that have helped keep this show going by tuning in, listening to the episodes, chiming in, hopping on and being a guest. I am ever so grateful for every single one of you who have come on to the show who have listened who have laughed cried because i'm making you watch the room right but 100 episodes holy crap and i am super stoked that we have made it this far ever ever so thankful now i have a question is that counting only the it's not that bad episodes or also counting the grading on a curve no that this is only the it's not that bad episodes the grading on a curve and keep watch past episodes are their own beasts on this channel so this is 100 movies 100 so we've defended thus far 99 
So we got 99 movies and the room is our one problem. Oh, <laughs> I like it. Right. I uh, like it. First of all, we got a message from Brian over at my weekly mixtape. It says, I just want to wish you a huge congratulations on 100 episodes. I am extremely grateful and thankful for the times you've brought me on to be a part of those 100 apps. Here's to the next 100 and beyond. Brian, thank you so much. And to all of our listeners and to all of our guests, thank you all so much. Now, we got to get down to business here. Get down to business. You know, I can sit here and wax philosophic on, you know, reaching this milestone, but we set ourselves up one hell of a challenge because we are going to be talking about the room. The Citizen Kane of bad films. The best bad film ever made. So, Carrie, when I mentioned The Room was going to be our 100th episode, and you knew this day was coming, were you regretting your life choices at this point? At that moment, no. I was actually kind of looking forward to the rewatch until the rewatch. Um, I, I really wanted to find the good in the room. And then I looked around and all I could see is Lisa. What does she do anyway? She just sits and leeches off of... Oh, you, you, it, you, uh, got, you got issues. Oh, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... But I'm here to say nice things. Right? So cue the music. Was what, <laughs> was Lisa tearing you apart? Oh. Oh. Right. The script. Yeah. The gratuitous sex scenes to the hip. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, dear listeners, if you've never watched The Room... You are doing yourself a disservice because I think there's something to be said about a rite of passage, you know, and every podcast or every movie lover out there needs to watch The Room. And I, and I don't mean this as, you know, you need to watch this to behold. It's a, no, 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 no. There's a rule. In order to make good films, you need to watch good films. And... You also need to watch bad films so you know what a bad film looks like. To be fair, going into this, I was ever hopeful that it was more like living in oblivion because in my memory or my mind's eye, that's kind of how I remember it to be like the the cheesy, you know, school project mm-hmm. made movie, right? However. However. On the rewatch, I was like, hmm. See, living okay. in oblivion, living in oblivion felt more to me like the disaster artist and how that was a movie about the making of the movie. True. But I think I just, I was really hopeful for just something, something that you can look at and say, okay, so this was like a student film. Like, Tell me and, that and it this does, was a student film. Well, I mean, here's the thing. And, and one of the things when we were watching this is that, you know, we went to broadcasting college and I remember writing some fictional stuff for projects. And I, I have to sit there and remind myself that, yeah, 
at the time, maybe we thought it was good, but I guarantee you, if anyone watched some of those projects now, they'd be sitting there going, oh, tell me why Zoe Wannabe. Okay, I get it, I get it. Like, I'm sure if you took a look at any of my college stuff, it, it, it would probably be on equal playing ground of the room. Although I, I will admit that my scripts were probably better. Oh, come on. If it's on TV, it must be true. Right. And what was, I was so trying to remember, what was that project that we were working on? You did like the downtown. Oh, was that wake up call? Was it, That's it. Yeah. 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 It, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No one will ever find those, those tapes ever. <laughs> I think it's on like Betacam or three quarter yeah. range or something like that. Some, some I think they're holding up format. a coffee table somewhere. Oh, <laughs> at least it'd be useful. Okay. Collecting dust. Okay. So we have waxed philosophic about our horrible college filmmaking day. So it's now time to talk about the room. But before we do, before we do our best in this 100th episode to tackle the best worst film ever made, it is time to take the room and trailerize it. In 2003, one movie dared to challenge everything we knew about filmmaking, made us rethink our notion of what a good script sounded like. Hell, it even challenged our notion of how the English language should work. Enter the room, a movie where love ambition and common sense go to die johnny is the guy everybody loves except the girl of his dreams his future wife who is in love with his best friend who flip-flops between loving her and not wanting to hurt his best friend if it was that simple we wouldn't be here Throw in a way too horny adopted pseudo son who may or may not be selling or doing drugs. Random couples using Johnny's apartment for sex. And a mother who wants everyone to settle and be as miserable as she is. With more sex than a softcore porn film. More nonsensical dialogue than a drunk trying to get out of a speeding ticket. And more production money than should have ever been spent on this film. It's The Room. Rated 18A for absolutely the best, worst film ever made. Oh, come on, tell me. How much did it cost? It was all done in one room. And then horrible green screen. Okay, you have to understand, like... I, I've read the book, The Disaster Artist, which is written by Greg Sestero and is basically the, the telling of the making of this film. And we've watched The Disaster Artist, like the film that was made based on that book, which is based on the making of this film. This film had a budget of $6 million, apparently. Wow. $6 million of Tommy Wiseau's dollars. That and he considering he did like nine out of the ten jobs right (laughs) but no but but here's the thing like there was so much wrong with this production because he wanted to do it in a way that make it look like big hollywood film he shot it on film and digital 
simultaneously because no one had ever done that before. He was shooting scenes in weird orders where they would strike the set and then had to rebuild the set because he wanted to shoot another scene there. He was doing rewrites on the fly. He was showing up late. Things were going like there was money being thrown out on this film that and yet no one really knew where the six million dollars came from it's fascinating like the more you read and i i I encourage listeners to read the disaster artist because if you've ever watched the film and then you go and read the book you're like holy crap how did this film even actually reach its like get finished it's fascinating but i mentioned six million dollar budget at the domestic box office because it was released it has made a total of five hundred and forty nine thousand six hundred and two dollars and worldwide just under five million now this doesn't account for dvd sales and not all of the midnight showings because this film has become a midnight movie kind of experience cult classic right very much like if you've ever gone to a review uh, cinema to go see the rocky horror picture show you know that the audience has lines all queued up and ready to react to the film this has become the same way people are constantly throwing spoons at the screens um yeah there's a lot going on but let's also get into who's in this film it was Written by, starring, and directing Tommy Wiseau, and also starring Greg Sestero, Juliet Danielle, Philip Haldeman, Carolyn Minot, Robin Paris, Mike Holmes, Dan Janjigan, and Kyle Vaught. There is no awards for this film, not even the Razzies, not even the Stinkers Bad Movie Awards. This film escaped everybody's view, which is surprising because when the film came out, Tommy Wiseau had put a billboard up on like Sunset Strip to promote the film and stayed up there for a long, long time. He put a lot of money into keeping that billboard there. However, the critic scores on this. Over at Metacritic, this film has a meta score of nine. Nine. And over at Rotten Tomatoes, the audience score is 47 percent wow and the tomatometer is 25 percent higher than i thought yeah you would expect something closer to the meta score of nine so as i say this to you and we're taking a look at like the audience score i kind of get it because when it comes to Rotten Tomatoes, people are going to rate it if they saw it or it, more or less if they liked it or if they really hated it. And those who are in between probably aren't going to actually leave a review. But you have to think that it does have a cult following. You're you're stunned in silence. Well, no, because again, that's where on the rewatch... I almost had kind of forgotten about the movie, almost like, you know, like a bad dream that eventually you just want to shake off and and kind of move on from. Um, But on the rewatch, I was like trying. I was really trying to find the redeemable quality. I was really trying 
hard to find something, <laughs> anything. Dear God, help me. I tried. I, I really tried. And then there was the moment where I had you pause the movie so I could go on a rant tirade. Oh, but- don't worry. I, there, there's a spot in my notes here where it's just like, yeah, we're just going to let Carrie take the, take the mic and take the lead on this one here. But I'm supposed to say nice things, so I don't want to talk about it. Uh-huh. Which, for the record, apparently, like, I don't want to talk about it was repeated like seven times in the film. <laughs> right. <laughs> I swear I'm just I'm saving you from watching the movie, dear dear listeners. I'm I'm quoting the entire script because it was either uh Johnny laughing like awkwardly, <laughs> like like strangely awkwardly, <laughs> or it was Lisa saying I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, pretty much. Um that being said, before we get into the breakdown here, this film, this year, as of recording this, is 30 years old, and yet people are still talking about this film. I think there's something to be said about the complete absurdity of the movie and how that has held it in at least continued pop culture narratives. Like, you gotta be real bad in order to be able to be talked about this long. But I think there's a reason people have been talking about it, and I'll get to that a little bit later. But And believe me when I say it, it's actually a nice thing to say. So be forewarned, dear listeners, I'm, I'm actually going to have some nice things to say about this. Somehow, some way. Trust. Just trust. So am I here to be the negative? Oh, we're playing good cop, bad cop with the room? Yeah. No, 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 no. You, you I'm gotta, like the yin to your yang. <laughs> you're, you're like, you're like the, you know, the balance beam on this one here. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but let's get to the breakdown here. We got to start with the one and only Tommy Wiseau as Johnny. How was he for you? You know what? As this is, this is where I'm actually going to be really positive is that he was really a likable character he was really likable and you really felt for him and you just had hoped I I I had hoped for better you know for him um definitely a better outcome and I'm not gonna spoil the ending but um I he deserved better than Lisa he should have kicked her to the curb she should have been honest with him but I digress. Um, yeah, he was done dirty, and I, I really felt for him. One of the things I will say about this film, Tommy Wiseau in real life is very secretive about his background, his history, his origins, if you will. Like he He's a very private, very mysterious person. But there's something to be said about people who write and every now and then there there's aspects of their personality and the things that they write and you have to wonder if parts of this story do actually relate to Tommy Wiseau in real life not that he's you know not a vampire because that's one of the things Honestly, when he was writing this, right, the, and again, if you read the book, The Disaster Artist, you know, he's like, I have this story, it's a great American movie, 
Yeah, about Johnny, all-American man. Might be a vampire, I don't know. And yeah, he was obsessed with vampires and wanted to... Had, apparently, at one point, he tried to get this scene in the movie where the Johnny's car flew off into the sun somehow. Yeah. Huh? Yep. Okay. Yep. He worked at a bank. Jo- Johnny worked Johnny at a bank. Johnny worked at a bank, yes. No, again, you really do have to read The Disaster Artist. It is a, a fascinating trip into the behind the scenes of this film. But in that... I'm going to say this, and this is one of the nice things I'm going to say about this. Tommy Wiseau, for all his faults behind the scenes, and there are lots, somehow pulled this film together. Like, by sheer force of will, got this film together. Even though he was apparently... You know, we're, we're not, we weren't there. We don't know. I know what I've read. But apparently he was the cause of many of the problems on set. But yet this is his brainchild. This is his dream. He dreamed of making a film. And by sheer force of will, made the room. For better or for worse, he made the room. And there's something almost inspirational about that. Like, in order to shun every single naysayer and forge ahead with your vision, knowing that in your mind this is how it should be. Because he wasn't letting anyone change a lick of dialogue at all which is why some of the lines sound like they do in this film he would not let anyone change a lick of dialogue this was his vision and he manifested this into reality i have a question Mm -hmm. did any of the actors go on to other projects greg sestero has done a little bit of acting here and there um everyone else not really no and tommy wiseau tommy wiseau has actually been in samurai cop 2 deadly vengeance but i think the thing is and and tommy wiseau and greg sestero did actually make another film together called best friends and i think Tommy Wiseau is famous for being Tommy Wiseau at this point. And the other actors are just off doing their things. So as Johnny, was he actually acting or was it Tommy Wiseau with a different name? I think, and that's what what I'm very curious about is, is this or how close to Tommy is this? And I would, I wouldn't be surprised if there are um, hints of, you know, him or little bits of his reality in Johnny. I mean, it's interesting why they even changed the character name because Tommy Wiseau's name is plastered all over the opening credits. Like every job produced by, directed by, camera, 
editing, written, um, acting. <laughs> like, why didn't they just keep the name for the sake of ease, Tommy, instead of changing it to Johnny? Well, I mean, that's the funny thing. Like, Mark, as played by Greg Sestero, was apparently named after... And let, let me try to explain this here. Say, So, Tommy Wiseau was apparently fascinated with the movie The Talented Mr. Ripley and which starred Matt Damon he for some reason thought the guy's name was Mark Damon so that's why he named Greg Sestero's character Mark because he thought it was Mark Damon oh yeah okay <laughs> you're right but since he would be a fascinating dude to meet. I, I think he would be. Like it, it would be very fascinating to sit down and just and just ask. Because apparently in a lot of these, you know, mid, you know, midnight showings of the film, he will often show up and do a, a Q and A at the theater. Really? Yeah. Uh, okay. Something I, to watch out for. Right? If ever we're in LA, yeah, absolutely. We you know. And the room is showing. There's a possibility Tommy Wiseau is going to show up. I I would go. I I would. I'd be fascinated to talk to him and just and just ask him how how and why to make this. But since we're talking about Mark Damon, let's talk about Mark as played by Greg Sestero. How is Oh hi Mark for you? Hmm. I don't want to talk about it. Ugh. Okay, he claims to be Johnny's best friend, and yet he is sleeping with Johnny's fiance. I can only guess that Lisa's his a fiance. future wife. Future wife. Come on, man. Really? No, 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 no. You should have just continued with the story that you're very busy and hang up the damn phone. Don't be booty calling on your best friend's girl period end of story yeah mark is not a a strong character i mean let's be honest lisa is the instigator in the shenanigans if you will yeah but he knew what he was doing he knew what he was getting into when he showed up at the room well i mean at at Lisa's not very subtle let's put it that way and clearly Mark was thinking with his boner so yeah no I I, I get it I, I will give Greg Sestero uh, credit here I, I recognize that you know near the end of the film he was becoming somewhat disillusioned with the production and how it was just becoming a, a bit of a nightmare so kudos to him for going through all of that it's it's tough to see this character in any good light right and i don't think that he's a bad character i don't think that he's written to be a bad person i think though that he in this movie and we're talking we're talking mark we're not talking greg sestero here we're talking about a weak character we're talking about someone with no self-conviction right he sleeps with Lisa because she wants him to sleep with her. He continues to sleep with Lisa despite all better judgment because she wants 
him to do that. And whenever he, you know, tries to put things into perspective, he's always looking to other people for their opinions as vaguely as he can put it. Mark can't think for himself. Mark is a dumb pretty boy, basically. And speaking of dumb pretty boy who forgot his underoos. <laughs> oh, no, no. Oh. We'll, we'll get to him in a bit. Oh, my God. We'll get to him in a bit. But, yeah, no, Mark, Mark the character is is not a good person and here's what i think i think what would have made the movie more interesting is if it would have been like a really distinguishable piece of mark's clothing or something that would have been left on one of his booty calls that would have led johnny to put two and two together and realize what's going on well, all he has to do is put a black light on the stairwell. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you're you're gonna have like nightmares about this one, aren't you? So the recording device that he set up that was to the phone, right? That wasn't like to bug the room, because if he had set up a camera, man, that would have been like pretty quick that he would have had evidence. Yeah, because everything happened in the room. In the room. It's more than just a metaphor, people. It's more than just a metaphor. Uh, Juliet Danielle, who played Lisa, did she tear you apart? Oh, I don't want to talk about it. And remember, we are talking about Lisa, the character. We are not talking about Juliet Danielle, the person. I know, but, you know, as far as acting, if her intention was to make Lisa hateable, well done. Good, good job. Good job, because I really hated Lisa. Like... I know it was scripted that way. I know she was meant to be not likable. But I'm supposed to say nice things about a very horrible character. And I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) I will say. I plead the fifth. I'm going to be quiet about this. If Tommy Wiseau wrote this script based on maybe a past relationship of his then you have to think that Lisa is written from a pa- a place of pain within him. So Lisa's not going to be likable. Lisa's not going to be the good person. But then why was she so liked? The neighbors, the the um, the young uh, D- Danny, Donnie? Oh, uh, Denny. Denny. Like, everybody liked Lisa. She had many friends. She had, you know, she had weaseled her way into the affections of Mark and Johnny absolutely adored her, treated her like a princess. Um, Yeah. Lisa, to me, is a perfect example of self-sabotage. Consider, if you will, Lisa is engaged to Johnny, who's who, who fawns over her and doesn't have to work for a living, clearly. Has friends, has love towards her, has pretty much everything she wants and needs, but can never be happy. 
And even when things probably start to get better, she probably do something to ruin it. And you have to wonder if Lisa, the character, is, how, how do I put it? Insecure. Nothing's ever going to be perfect. And the minute that something does, it feels unreal. So she does her best to ruin it. She's selfish. She wanted it all. She wanted to be put up in the house or the apartment. She wanted Johnny to get a promotion. And the minute that he didn't, well, he was pretty much like out his own door. And she fell out of love with Johnny, who she was quite happy to continue letting her letting uh, sorry letting him buy her things and you know pay the rent and she doesn't have to work and he treats her absolutely like like royalty he adores her and all the while she's sleeping with his best friend and flirting with this poor young kid that like what is the deal there? I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. Oh, we'll get to Danny I, in a bit. I, I just don't know. But in Lisa's defense, and yes, I'm sticking up for Lisa, the character here. Consider how her mother is. And you have to think that this is probably the, the mentality that Lisa grew up with. Because her mother, as played by Carolyn Minot, I'm just going to literally <laughs> I'm going to read my notes on this one here on Carolyn Minot I'm going to just let Carrie take over on this one here so I'm going to let you talk about Lisa's mother and then we'll talk about how that character probably affects Lisa okay so first of all the actress was absolutely spectacular she was so so good. And such a trooper too, because apparently it was so hot in the studio one day, she actually had to be uh, rushed to hospital for heat exhaustion. Oh my God. And then came back and like finished the finished the scene. So like absolute trooper. Okay. As an actress, she was absolutely wonderful. Yes. As a mother and potentially mother-in-law to Johnny. Oh, what an evil bitch. Like, <laughs> and... And, and so here's, here's the setup, all right? So Lisa's starting to realize that she no longer loves Johnny, that she loves Mark. She wants out of the relationship with Johnny, and yet mom said no. Mom pointed out all of the things that Johnny does for her and that her life would pretty much... At one point, she says you know, you need Johnny because you're pretty much nothing without him. Thanks, mom. I'm just like, oh, wow. So you're basically saying, okay, doesn't matter what the heart says. Here's the reality. You know, you're nothing (laughs) without this guy supporting you. Um, You know, it's okay to go f- around with Mark, but uh, but don't don't hurt Johnny because uh, he's he's gonna you know get a promotion and take good care of you. Um, okay, what? That's horrible advice. You know, marry for money, not for love. And by the way, go and f- his friend. No, you don't do that. No. So you know what? I was so angry 
<laughs> when mom was um, delivering her dialogue that I, I was like, stop the movie. I'm like, what? That is horrible advice. <laughs> so really, it was played beautifully. It was it was really good. But but had the character of her mom been more real? Had it been like, you know what? My dear daughter, Lisa, listen to your heart. You know, realistically, right? You're going to have to move out of this house and go and get a job if you shack up with this Mark guy who we don't know what he does for a living. Um, Yet he seems very busy. So, you know, first of all, is his heart really into it? Or is he just leading with, as you say, his boner? Like, really? So much wrong with it. Just so much wrong. Like, if Lisa had been honest with Johnny in the beginning and broken up with him, gone the other way, and if she wanted to hook up with Mark later, like, at least that would have been commendable because she would have been honest with everybody, right? Whether she lands with Mark or not, only time will tell. And if it's meant to be, okay. And then she wasn't meant to be with Johnny, but then at least she's being honest with him as opposed to stringing him along and tearing him apart, Lisa. Right. <sighs> Did I answer your question? I think I I, I, I think I need a Snickers. Oh, shit. Slow clap. I, Chef's kiss on I that. I need a Snickers. <laughs> we finally broke her. <sighs> It took a hundred episodes, but we finally broke her. <laughs> but you know what? The mom played it well. Oh, Carolyn Minot played it very well. I think the thing here, though, is that your guttural reaction to Lisa's mother is probably a, a, a justifiable because you have to think if this is the way Lisa's mother thinks, then these are the lessons that she has imparted to Lisa, which is why Lisa's so like, I'm going to get everything and be happy. It's almost like, because her mother settled or whatever and you know well that was the thing it was in the lines it was in the script yeah when uh when lisa was talking with her friend there that would hop in and michelle yes use her couch (laughs) 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 um when she's talking with michelle she's like i can and will have it all because you know yeah yeah her point of view is very different from Michelle's. You know what? It was it was very warped. And um, don't get me wrong. I really enjoyed the actors and the actresses' performances. Mm-hmm. I think if this was the script they were given, there were flaws with the script. No disrespect to Tommy Wiseau, but, yeah, you know... The English language the, being one of them. No, no, no. Not I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about like character flaws, right? And morality was missing from this script. But if that's the story that he wished to tell, if all I could say is if this somehow mirrors an event in his life, I am so sorry to hear that because it's just awful. Period. End of story. Whether the room is a is 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 a glorified st- biopic no but whether it's a stellar production or whether it is indeed 
a student film. It is what it is, but it was made with really great actors, a really great cast of actors. Because they do make you this angry (laughs) (laughs) when they portray portray the script that they're given. Since you mentioned him, let's talk about Philip Haldeman, uh, who played Denny. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? You just uh, kind of felt for this kid. And like, where did he go when he left? Did he have his own apartment in the building? So, so So the way it's described is that... Tommy kind of a pseudo adopted Denny, um, kind of took him on as like a like a pseudo son, if you will, and had an apartment for him in the building that they were living in. So he was helping look after Denny. But he lives on his own then. And and on his own in an apartment in the building. That's how it's described. So Johnny and Lisa are kind of like pseudo parents to him. So. You know, insert all your Denny's Oedipus complexes here on that one, but. Yeah, there was like an awkward sexual tension between Denny and Lisa. And I just, yeah, I, I couldn't get over the ick factor on that, but, you know, whatever. I mean, especially if she's like a parental figure ish kind of maybe i think i think more i think he feels that more with with johnny than he does with lisa but yeah yeah i can see that okay so it's like johnny is the father figure lisa's almost like i don't know like a sexy cousin or something that he just uh, i don't know Uh, I don't know. I mean, it was it was creepy to watch. It was kind of we like put a big do not enter sign on the room. I mean, <laughs> you got to wonder what the other side of the door looks like. <laughs> like red light under a black light. Yep. <laughs> well, speaking of black light in the room, let's talk about Mike Holmes, who plays Mike, the uh, the guy who leaves his underwears <laughs> in the couch. Left me underwears. <laughs> oh my god! I have a tragedy here. Cute but dumb. Holy! F- <laughs> wow! Who called it like you see it here? Hands up! wrong with him <laughs> i don't quite know uh, i mean don't get me wrong i get excited for sex too but i don't like <laughs> hands up <laughs> took 100 episodes but we broke broken her for sure the thing is, if Mike is supposed to be, for lack of a better term, the comedic relief, then he kind of works in this sense. <sighs> You're going to be okay. <laughs> Again, though, I think it would have been... Uh, it, it almost would have been, like, better for the storyline if <laughs> if it wasn't his underwear or... Or, like, 
you know, if, if, if mom was trying to hand him back, like, I don't know, let's say, um, Mark, Mark's Mark's. underwear. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't know. The whole thing is just so, just so twisted. I I don't, I don't ever want to go in that room. First of all, you can't sit on the couch. (laughs) Can't go up the stairs. Right. I mean, yes, there are. There's not so much plot holes in this as there are plot abysses. I will give you that. But, you know, again, from a from a character's purpose perspective, if Mike is supposed to be the um, the comedic relief, then I, I can see that. I can see I that. I think, though, he was the only character that didn't know that Lisa was schlepping Mark. Like you said, Cupid dumb. Right. But let's talk about someone who did know, and that's Michelle, as played by Robin Paris. How was she for you? Uh, you know what? Great, but I do have issue that she wasn't more the voice of reason. Like, where mom is trying to talk Lisa into staying with Johnny, Michelle should have been the voice of reason to tell Lisa and and she was to a point, but I almost wanted to see Lisa have some sort of self-respect or some sort of like, I don't know, awakening or eye-opening that she's doing Johnny dirty and, and that she should come clean with him. I, th- I think the thing with Michelle is that like there, there's a moment in when, when she's, you know, at the room. And she's talking with Lisa. And then Johnny comes home and he comments like, oh, hey, Michelle, did you get a new dress? And she reacts kind of awkwardly. And I wonder if, you know, in the story's sake, Michelle's not necessarily the biggest fan of Johnny, which, of course, is why she doesn't immediately go to Johnny and rat Lisa out because she knows that she's stupid Mark. And doesn't tell Johnny like she tells Lisa it's a bad idea and that she needs to be honest with Johnny but doesn't stop her and doesn't rat on her she needs Lisa to make the choice herself and I think that role was fairly well played oh it definitely was I mean she was definitely the you know the best friend I think too let's be honest clearly she was using Johnny's apartment just as much as Lisa was using Johnny's, well, maybe not as much, but she was definitely benefiting from having, you know, a safe house to go and schlep her man. So, right. <laughs> like, which is just... Is that a safe house so, or, a, or a safe word house? So creepy. Like, it's it's so creepy what goes on in the room. That could be said about many things about this book. <laughs> Kyle Vout, who played Peter, the psychiatrist. Yeah, you know what? When he was introduced, I was like, who the f is this guy? But again, he, out of all of the characters, really seemed he's a psychologist, so he, he but definitely. You're, but you're a psychiatrist. Yeah, it was almost kind of like, well, how convenient. <laughs> right? You're. You're surrounded by nuts, yet you've got a psychiatrist. An in-house psychiatrist. You always play psychiatrist with us. 
Yeah. But I, I think in this case, Peter was actually, I mean, again, not long on screen like many people in this film, but not poorly written. I could have seen this character actually being a pivotal point had they flushed out that maybe Johnny and Lisa were both seeking help from, from Peter. Mm. Like That would have been interesting. I mean, it definitely would have been, I think, if anything, he could have very much been the voice of reason that Lisa needed. One more to go through here, and that's Dan Janjigan, who played Chris R., the the drug dealer on the roof with the gun and Denny. Again, very small role, but how was he? I mean, he was the only one that wasn't involved in this whole love triangle, so good on him. It was kind of like, wait, what's happening here? But it kind of gave a bit more insight to Denny's story. So, right. Um, Did it, though? I, I don't know. It, it was probably, never mentioned again? probably left more questions and you know (laughs) i mean what the hell so tommy and mark like drag him downstairs and hand him off to the police and then just come back up to the you know up to the roof like nothing happened right oh no it's not like nothing happened i mean believe me everybody was ripping on on denny about having a gun to his face um but again you know if there was like a large sum of money or drug dealing or whatever. I, I don't maybe they were all on Danny's supply. Maybe. Maybe this was all Danny's fever dream. Huh. <laughs> and then and then he wakes up and everything's fine. Yeah, no. Johnny and Lisa are in love again. I don't know. It was all a dream. <sighs> all a dream. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> okay. The fact that we are still talking about this film 30 years since its release. You know, a small, independent, self-financed film with no notable actors, no studio behind it. Basically, a one-man driving force. And yet, somehow, we're still talking about this film 30 years later. It's almost like this film unlocked, you know, the the Pandora's box or the, you know, the the cheat codes to how to create a cult film. And that's the thing, right? Like, apparently, you see this at a midnight screening, and it's an experience. You know, for us sitting at home and watching it, it's, it's just us sitting at home and watching it. But... With the room, does the absurdity of it make it more interesting? Well, I have to say I'm intrigued on the idea of the midnight watch. And they're throwing spoons? Yeah. At what point? Is uh, that where the, he throws the beer can? No, 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 no. If you, t- if you take a look in the room, most of the pictures that are in frames in there are up, are pictures of spoons. I did not notice that. Because apparently um, the the setting for the room, like all the furniture and all that, was literally a window display at like a furniture shop that they went and just bought everything, including pictures of spoons. Huh. <laughs> Fascinating. So you mean to say that they took apart 
the set. So this this wasn't like all filmed in an actual room. It was actually filmed filmed on a filmed a, in a studio. A studio because that's what big Hollywood films do. Huh. Yeah. Again, this is one of those things where this was on the insistence of Tommy Wiseau, and not a single indicator that it was actually raining outside. That you know. Yeah. That. that Many sex scenes, yes. That, that's, yeah. That waterfall scene. At one point, I'm like, what, how do they have, like, a waterfall against a window? Like, what is going on there? Anyway. Anything can happen in the room. Two things came to mind as we were watching this, though. And they were probably very, very wrong answers. But hear me out on this one here. There were moments in the room where people would enter the room, you know, as they would do in this film, and in my mind, all I was hearing was like the audience, like the live studio audience applause when a character enters a room for the first time. And I wonder if someone ever took this movie and had scenes where, you know, the the oh hi mock scenes and like someone walks through a door and all you hear is the studio is going, ah, kind of thing. Like if you had a live studio audience reaction to this, I wonder how that would help. But also... Imagine if one day there was The Room, the stage play. Okay, yes, I can totally 1000% see this as a stage play. Right? Like, in fact, that was kind of like the thing going through my mind when I, 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 when I first watched it was, okay, this could quite easily have been a play turned into a film. Um, and I think it would work. It would completely work. I mean, there wouldn't be those random, like, football scenes where, well, maybe you could even get away with that. Um, the roof could quite easily have a backdrop. Complete with the room signature footballs. Be sold (laughs) at the merch booth. Right. Okay. Before we go to our MVPs. Social media has chimed in. The Movie Duel podcast, our good friend Peter over there, has chimed in with, it's not even so bad that it's good. It's just so bad that it has to be seen to be believed. It's like seeing a failing marriage proposal in public. You can't not watch. Tommy Wiseau clearly isn't playing with a full deck, but he's got a passion for cinema, so that's something? And I don't disagree with the you know, passion-fueled project. It very much is a passion-fueled project. But do you think, for for someone who is interested in film, that this film should be a, a must-watch just for the for all the wrong reasons? Do you know what this is? This is kind of like when we were in school and we watched Living in Oblivion, almost just kind of like the... You're going to experience the, the, this. The the don't do this. <laughs> it was almost kind of viewed as the cautionary tale. Right. And I really feel that this movie should be put on a list of must watches for film students. You know, because it's kind of like, okay, the script is almost predictable. It has a number of cliches as far as characters yet 
there's still a certain amount of charm behind this. So it's almost kind of like, and and I I can't say enough of how I agree with the passion fueled project statement, because this really was clearly Tommy Wiseau's vision, and he made it happen. And there's something cool about that, whether it was a good movie or needs defending. Uh, I'm here for it. That's a very diplomatic way of saying things, right? Um, and I'm here because you told me I have to be. <laughs> it's the 100th episode. You knew what you were signing you up for. You told me I had to say nice things. And right. if I if I couldn't say nice things, then I had to just say, I don't want to talk about it. Nope, that's complete, <laughs> completely fair. For, for the record, when we were trying to figure out which movie to do for this episode, it was either going to be this or Howard the Duck. Howard the Duck was our two-year anniversary film. This was the 100th episode. So now you know the broken mindset that goes behind what shows we do and when on this on this podcast. What will be 200? Ooh. I'm asking you to call your shot now. <sighs> you have to think it's going to be something really, 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 really bad. Like really bad. What else is there? <sighs> Dear listeners, what should be the 200? I don't know. There's a fascinating article on um, Wikipedia of films with an F cinema score. And maybe we take a look at those. Like when you fail, you fail hard. Ooh. Right? So but maybe we'll tap that resource. But I would love to hear what our listeners would, would like for our 200th episode, which will be in two years from now. But we'll get there. We'll get there. But now it's time to break you because you have to pick an MVP. So, Carrie, who is your MVP of the room? The football. No. <laughs> <laughs> the beer can that gets thrown when he's like, it's bullshit. I swear I didn't hit her. That's a water bottle. It's a water bottle. It's a water bottle. Oh, okay. Even better. Right? Because Tommy doesn't drink. Well, that water bottle was- Aside lit- from the scotchka. The water bottle was lit. It's not scotchka. Apparently it's cognac and vodka. It's conca. It's conca. But no, apparently the water bottle in that scene was handed to him because he was flubbing that scene so many times and Greg Stero had this idea of like, if he had a prop, then he wouldn't focus so much on his lines and his marker. And that's that's how they got that take. I think it would have been better as a beer can or a bottle yeah, but, or something. But, but Johnny doesn't drink. Yeah, we all know that's bullshit. Yeah. It's bullshit. I swear, I didn't hit her. Okay. But well, hi, Mark. <laughs> which, oh, hi, Mark. Which really, you know. I think that, before we get to your MVP. Best I'm, line. I'm, I'm saving you a little bit of time here. But before we do, this film is entirely quotable. Like, because they're so out there. Like, I, I you know, when Sean Faust was, was chatting about this film, uh, of course, Sean being a, a guest on the show and whatnot, um, he, he messaged me, he's like, and I definitely have breast cancer. And it's like, yep, no, you got it. You you accept this, you know, that this movie is part of reality. It's Well, I think that's the perfect example of how the lines were written on the page and literally like 
like, and this is not a knock against the actors, but it was almost like the lines were delivered exactly as they were written. And there was not much allowance for the actors to kind of feel what they're saying at times. And it really felt like the cancer scene was just that. It was like, it was almost kind of like, and I definitely have cancer. Like, what? Where, where, where did that come from? Where, like, was there a conversation that maybe we were missing <laughs> previous to this? Like, and there were a few times where I noticed, you know, actors will come in to a scene or come into the room and it's almost kind of like you're missing the top half of where this conversation's picking up. You know, like uh, the scene where um, Lisa and her mom are coming back from shopping. And was that when Michelle and her boyfriend were on the couch? Possibly. Or Denny was in the room or something. Like it was, anyway, again, um, so I've, I've borrowed enough time. I am going to go with the man himself, the creator, Tommy Wiseau. Because you know what? This was definitely his passion project and he made it happen. And you have to think he's also taking a lion's share of the work, right? Um, whether he's taking the paycheck or not, who knows? But he made this happen. He wrote the script. He made it happen. <laughs> yeah. It's all his fault. Yeah. I mean, his... his you know. Yes. Yes. It, 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 it's his fault and it's his fault. I think, <laughs> I think and, and that could say so much. Um, I think for me, though, my MVP is Robin Paris, who played Michelle. I think Michelle benefits from having the most sensical dialogue in this. And I think she benefited from not having to play a bad character. Right. As we said, Mark's not a good guy. Lisa's not a good girl. Lisa's mother is not a good mom. You know. Um, but we almost have to give props to Lisa or the actress who played Lisa. Oh, Julia Danielle, I think, definitely deserves props for finishing the role and whatnot. But I just thought that Robin Paris was probably the best actor in this. Because it's got to be hard, though, to be so heartless. <sighs> and she played it well. She got through it well. I, th- I think that's the thing, right? And, you know, for a lot of these actors, it was probably their first roles, like some of their first roles. And, you know, depending on the direction and depending on the working environment, you're probably struggling through through days of filming. And, you know, depending on the direction that you're given, like that's that's your template for that. You don't have that much in the way of prior experience to know what to push back against. You know, so you go in, you read the dialogue that somehow makes sense in the writer's mind and you go with it. And yes, everyone involved should, you know, kind of take a bow. And I think that's the thing is that time has allowed people to appreciate this film for what it is and being a cult classic midnight movie slice of film history of just getting her done because that that's what passion dictates and 
for all its faults and for all its flaws and for all its flubs, the room proves that you can do it. And that's not a bad thing. What is a bad thing is that we have reached the end of this episode. So, Carrie, thank you. Thank you so much for watching the room and making it to the end with me. Listeners, thank you for 100 episodes of this podcast. So, I'm safe to say you guys know the drill. If there's a movie out there that you think is unfairly maligned or is just so bad like this that there's no way in the room that we can find anything good to say about it, hit us up on social media at NotThatBadCast or go to our website at NotThatBadCast.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out all of our other shows, including Keep Watch Pass, There Can Only Be One, and Grading on a Curve, and check out our coming soon page so you can see some of the other movies that we are preparing to do episodes on drop us a line let us know what you thought of those films until next time carrie oh hi carrie (laughs) oh hi jay oh hi listeners this is it's not that bad take care It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.